How about we applaud how the Lord has used our worship leaders today? Thanks so much to our choir. Thank you for Aaron for putting this uh, service together. And uh, thank you, Ellen, for singing as well. And God bless you in Hawaii. I feel a mission trip coming on, but we'll be ready. We're glad to see you today for this one worship service together. It is good. I hope that somebody might have sat in your seat today, a regular seat that you had because you had so many folks. And we know that there are many traveling today, but we're glad that you have come as well. Would you find in your Bible 2 Kings, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 9 through 20. You want to keep your Bibles open. We'll be ready for how the Lord wants to speak to us today, and we're glad that you're here, excited about it. We want to invite you, particularly if you're a guest today. If you're a guest today, you may be thinking you're the only one, but you're not. We always have lots of guests, and you're here today, and we're glad that you are. Special invitation. It was called a luncheon, but actually it's a picnic inside. We have a huge tent that about every year or two we might get out because it takes a lot to put it up, but it got so hot we thought you might not come if we told you we're going to eat outside. So it's picnic in the gym, in the CLC, and we encourage you to come. But if you're a guest today, give you a special invitation. Nothing you had to bring. You just come and enjoy barbecue. Our folks have brought uh, all the fiction to go along with that, so we'll look forward to a great time of fellowship uh, after this service is over. And, uh, but uh, we're glad that you're here. It's okay to feel patriotic. God bless the USA, and we pray God's blessings, and we certainly worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the one we worship. We are but it's okay to be a patriot. We believe that those who are followers of the Lord Jesus should make the best citizens in whatever place in which they live. And we appreciate how privileged we are to be able to live in the land in which we live, be able to have the freedoms that we have, thankful for those who stood before, those who have served our country so that we might be able to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today, particularly the freedom to worship, just like we have done today, because not every believer, not everyone has that freedom. But as we sang earlier, we know that all freedoms come through the Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. True freedom is found in Jesus regardless of where we live, but we're thankful today. We're going to talk about maybe some of the responsibilities that we have as well. Our key verse, we're going to read these verses here just a little bit later, but our key verse we're going to look at today and we'll hopefully we'll be able to see why 2nd Kings chapter 3 and verse 16 this is how it says it in Christian Standard Bible then he said this is what the Lord says dig ditch after ditch in this wadi uh, look at it again let's just make sure I want you to know what it says then he said this is what the Lord says dig, dig ditch after ditch in this wadi uh, you know one of the questions that I get asked most as a as a pastor i guess people coming to me how can i know god's will and that's a good question books have been written about it i recommend books like experiencing god even the purpose driven life still recommend some of those books in order to be able to find the lord's will but basically if you want to find the lord's will i often tell people you need to be willing to do whatever it is god asks you to do no matter what that is have your heart in a place to where you're ready to follow God, whatever he asks you to do, wherever he wants you to go. And I'll say something like, I'll say, even if he wants you to dig ditches for the rest of your life, that's what you need to be willing to do. And so today I've come across this particular passage. I mean, I've read it before, but somehow it hit me today that uh, and it's not necessarily the reason that I say that, but as I come to this passage today that talks about digging ditches, I thought, yeah, that if that's what the Lord wants you to do, that's what you need to be willing to do. And at one time, God's people were asked to be ready to dig ditches. And really, today, 
We're kind of having an intersection of our sermon series as well as our God and country emphasis today is kind of coming together. As we've been talking about, we're using the life of Elijah. Now we're kind of moving into Elisha to talk about what can God do? What can God do? So we're talking today, what can God do for America? And what can God do through you as citizens of this country, but really citizens first and foremost of another kingdom? Believe in all that God's word is accurate, it's authoritative and applicable to the world today. Let's learn together how God's people, followers of Jesus, can make a real difference in the world in which we live, and in particular the country in which we live where we can continue to experience the freedoms that we are able to experience today, as well as, and more importantly, expand the kingdom of God. Speaking of willing to be able to do whatever God asks, I came across this story not too long ago. And, um, and it's a story about a group of believers. They were uh, very poor people, small group of believers in India. And they came across and they wanted to do something for the Lord. The Lord laid upon their heart that every time they come together, though they couldn't do or give much, is that every time they eat, that they could take a handful of rice and they could offer that handful of rice to the Lord. And they take a handful of rice, they put it aside, and then when the bowl gets through, they take it to the church, and then the church would use it in order to be able to use in ministry and kingdom work. Now, they started this back in 1914, over 100 years ago. The first year, one of the first years in which they started this, they raised $1.50 in U.S. dollars. Now, still, that's more than it is today, but it wasn't very much. Now, they've been doing this for 100 years, called Handful of Rice Ministries, been doing this, and they've been teaching it to other generations. More groups of people in India are doing this and other denominations as well. In some of the poorest parts of the world is an emphasis here. And, uh, and now in the last few years... Uh, they are making $1.5 million that is used for ministry. They go to help other needy people, go to kingdom work. They help to plant churches as well as even to send missionaries beyond India to share that about the Lord Jesus. And they say, their saying is, they believe if you can eat, you can give. At least a handful of rice a day or for every meal. Still among the poorest people in the world that are doing this particular thing. Now, you might be asking, why would I share about this particular uh, story today in India of the poorest people in the world? Really, it's because we're not the poorest people in the world. We're among the richest people in the world, richest nation, one of the richest nations in the world still today. And we have many privileges, and with privileges come responsibility. So our application will go beyond monetary giving, but will include serving and sharing and being faithful to God. And that's how God will use you and me to touch the world, in particular our nation today. So in talking about and using this, well, what can God do? Or what is God's will for my life? Well, one of the ways in which you might be able to find that is to do the things that you know that you need to be doing today. And so I want to first talk to you, even before we read the rest of the scripture, about six disciplines of the Christian faith. Now, there are probably more than these, but these are six of those that we want to share. One definition of a discipline is a method or teaching to ensure proper behavior. We are disciples of Christ, which means that we are learners. We are to be learning to be more like Christ. So here are six things that might help us. Well, even before I share that, I don't know if you remember a few years ago at the Rose Bowl Parade, there was a particular float at the Rose Bowl Parade that ran out of gas. It's a beautiful float, but it ran out of gas, and before the float could continue, before the parade could continue, somebody had to get a, 
a gallon of gas or get some gas and get it to that particular float so that it could continue to move. But the ironic or the funny thing about it is that this particular float was a float for the Chevron Standard Oil Company. <laughs> you think they would have had enough gas to get on. Well, kind of like believers who have resources to the vast riches of God, these are the things I think that will help us not to run out of gas. So one of those is, and you list these, some of these you probably could list yourself, time alone with God. How important it is that we spend time alone with God and are essential to our walk with Christ. It's like breathing to everyday life, our prayer life, our time alone with God. And the elements of that, just to spend just a moment or two on this, we talk about our time alone with God. What do we do in that time? It should be praise. We should spend some time praising the Lord, looking for the attributes of God, being able to pray those or give those back to Him. Singing you can do, certainly time alone with God. It's the only time that I can sing a solo and hope it's a joyful noise. Singing back to the Lord sometimes. And uh, anything that we do that lifts up the name of God, reading a psalm, all of these things, confession should be a part. Every day confessing our sins, asking God to reveal sometimes those forgetting or forgotten or hidden sins so that we might be able to make the changes, transformation that we need to make, being genuine in our repentance. Scripture, we need to be systematically reading God's Word, all of God's Word. Uh, daily devotions are good, and, uh, but our focus should be on the Scripture. And we probably need to move beyond the how, we, how God's Word can make me feel better approach. Now, I've seen the list sometimes. If you're tired, you need to read this. If you're lonely, you need to read this. If you're depressed, read this. If you are anxious, here's a good verse. Nothing wrong with doing this. But if that's all we do, then we'll probably miss out on those things that we really need. And that is that we need to read God's Word with an emphasis on what it tells us and what it teaches us about God and to be able to see the changes that need to be made in our own life so that we might be more like Jesus. And then petitions. We need to bring our petitions and approach the throne of grace with confidence to Him, request before the Lord, knowing that He hears our prayers and He knows what is best. It's okay to be really honest with God with how you feel. It's also okay to be really honest with God with what you want, but then to be sure to be submissive to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what is the answer? And trust what His answer is going to be. And remember, as the Scripture says, to bring your petitions with thanksgiving. So number one is time alone with God. Number two of a spiritual discipline is worship with believers. We, we often talk about coming together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. And we talk about relevant worship. Genuine worship with the church body is important to the faith and the rest. It's important to the rest of the days and the week as well. And worship is about a heart-focused attention on our gracious God. He is an audience of one. And we are the participants to bring Him praise, honor, and glory. It's not about the preacher, thank goodness. It's not about the style of music or the dress or the place. But corporate worship should be a reflection of our personal worship and even a reflection of that worship that will one day take place in heaven as well. Charles Billingsley once said, y'all know maybe Charles Billingsley, he Christian musician, songwriter, and singer, and very popular, of course. He sang one time, or has more, more than one time he's come and been at Parkway Baptist Church in his earlier days. Pretty sure we couldn't afford him today. But I remember him saying, if you don't like the song we're singing, well, hang on, in about four minutes we're going to be singing something else. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll like that song. But don't let anything keep you from true worship 
and personal worship and from a, distract you from exalting the name of Jesus. Number three of a Christian discipline is a small group Bible study and fellowship. We're made for community. We want to be involved in small group Bible study. If all you're doing is attending worship, and we're glad that you attend worship, well, your next step is to be involved in a small group community and Bible study, a group to where you can get to know one another, where you can invite others. Uh, we, our main focus of that is our Sunday school. Now, we recognize not everybody calls their small group Sunday school. Sometimes they call them life groups or community groups or even home groups. And, but I don't care what you call it, more life change will come about in a small group study. We have more than what ha takes place here on Sunday. We have many Bible studies to meet during the week and sometimes at night. But I will say this, the health and the future of our church will be tied in to you being involved in small group Bible study and having healthy environments to where you can learn together from God's Word and grow and do life together. Ministry is number four. Ministry and in and through God's church. Every member needs a place to serve. Finding your place is a discipline of the Christian faith. If you're a believer, if the Lord Jesus Christ has called you not only to be saved but also to serve. It's one of the reasons He keeps us here on earth so that we might be able to serve in ministry and it needs to be done in and through God's church. And number five, tithes and offerings to the church. Well, there it is. Giving to God is a discipline as well as an outcome of a growing Christian. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it, but spiritually healthy believers give to the work of the kingdom and it needs to be done primarily through the local church. Well, why through the church? Well, it's biblical. It is because the church holds the hope of the world. It is because we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. He is our head. The church was established by Jesus himself as our founder. And we, the church, are the only plan for bringing the world to him. We hold in our hands the hope of the world. That, that tithe that we talk about, that 10% is biblical, but it's not to be legalistic. For some people, 10%, it's a good goal to shoot for. For other people, 10%, I mean, it's just the launching pad. It's just the beginning, the starting place of what could be given. But it's to be done cheerfully and intentionally. People who love God and are grateful for God's grace find a way to give, even if it's just a handful of rice a day. As they said in the opening little story that I told, that if you can eat... You can give. And then number six, we'll add to that gospel conversations. We are to be intentional in learning and seeking to be able to talk about Jesus with others, sharing the good news of the gospel and the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Now, we at Parkway, we encourage everybody to be part of the, what we call Who's Your Three? To have up to or at least maybe three people that, you, that are lost or unchurched that you're praying for, seeking to invite to hear the gospel message and sharing your testimony or sharing the good news of Jesus. When people say, hey, that's my one, or this is the one I'm praying for, that's one of my three, we know exactly what you're talking about. We know that kind of language, and we're going to grow even more in this area to where it's just part of our DNA to where if you're a member of Parkway Baptist Church, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're looking for intentional ways to be able to share Jesus or invite that family member, that friend, that coworker, that teammate, classmate, or neighbor about church in Jesus. And so sometimes in our reports or in casual conversations, we're hearing more and more of this is what I was sharing with my family member. Here's somebody that I'm praying for. Here's somebody I'd like to receive. 
like to be able to know Christ and be able to be able to share with as well. These are six disciplines of the Christian faith. There are probably more that we could add to these, but these are good to know, good to be a part, certainly of every member of God's church, and even help you to know the Lord's will by knowing some of these. And I think these are going to help us with our walk through the passage today. Discovering why followers of Jesus should make the best citizens. So let's, let's see what we can learn. And we're just kind of, kind of, I hate to say casually, we want to take it ca- intentionally. How about that? Intentionally walk through these verses, maybe to help us as they're intersecting where we're working our way through these, uh, this sermon series. So read verse 9. It says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and when they had made a circuitous walk, a march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Now, three kings went out to war against the king of Moab. And first of all, I want you to note the players. And I think I've listed those for you. First of those, there, there's Jehoram, the king of Israel. I'm going to call him the backslidden king. I don't know that he was ever sliding in the right direction. But you understand that he was one who was one of God's people. He was an Israelite. Uh, but he was not necessarily a good king as well. He was ungodly. Uh, in fact, if you look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3, it says this, In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, and he did not depart from it. Did you notice who his parents were? Ahab and Jezebel. We've talked pretty extensively here in, uh, lately about those, but uh, some of the worst uh, that were ever king and queen, their names kind of synonymous with evil and wickedness, arguably among, among the most ungodly in Israel's history. Well, he's not as bad as his parents. That's about the best thing that could be said about him. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus, we are all sinners, but if we thought about it, we can always think of people worse than us. Might be a good side lesson for us here. We're not to compare ourselves with others, but only to the Lord Jesus, and we want to be more like Him. Now, the Moabites had rebelled against Israel. They had uh, captured some of the cities of Israel, so Jehoram goes to fight and make war with Moab to recapture those cities in the Promised Land. He sends a message to Jehoshaphat, we'll talk about in just a moment, king of Judah, go with him to fight Moab. And the Moabites were the enemies of both kingdoms. Well, today, and I'm just going to tell you this because I like this kind of stuff, and this will be over in about two minutes and we can move on. But today in the Louvre in Paris, in that museum, there is something called the Moabite stone, which is significant for those in even Israelite history. And in the Moabite stone... It talks about, and it's the king of Moab has an inscription on it, or somebody wrote it for him, to where it talks about the history to where the Moabites attacked Israel and they overtook these cities. And it's one of the longest uh, inscriptions that we have that talks about the Israel and some of these things outside of what we have written in the Bible, in the Bible, but it goes and it talks about some of these very things that we're talking about today. And, because it goes with this passage I wanted to tell you. So we'll move on. But by this time, Israel had divided into two kingdoms. We talked about the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And then there was Jehoshaphat. 
he was a king of Judah, but he was, he was the good and godly king because he would not allow idols in the southern kingdom of Judah. He made a stand. Idol worship and worship of the true God could not coexist. He was one of the best, most godly kings of Judah outside of David. He was one of David's descendants. We could make the argument, though, that he probably could not, would not, should not have partnered with the king of Israel or the king of Edom. Help us to understand we're not to partner with ungodly people for ungodly purposes. We are to be the salt and the light in this world. But we are to be sure that we are not partnering with others for an ungodly influence. But instead, the opposite, whatever we're doing, it is to point more people to Jesus. In this case, Jehoshaphat probably should not have been going out to war with the king of Israel, at least not without God's approval. And then the third player in our story is the king of Edom. He is a pagan king. Probably because they were going to be traveling to the land of the Edomites, they took them uh, as well. Even though the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, they were not considered godly people. Now we have Israel and Judah, who are God's people, partnering with an ungodly nation on a mission not sanctioned by God. Now how do we know this was a mission not sanctioned by God? Probably because of what's not in the passage. Now we began reading in verse 9, but in the first nine verses, as it talks about leading up to this, there is no mention of God. No king that asked God if they should do it. Not even good King Jehoshaphat. And so probably was not something that they were ready to do or that God was ready for them to do at this time. So, so important the disciplines of the Christian faith. Now we're back to the things we talked about. So that we might know God's will for everyday living. For the big decisions and the small decisions. I mean, going to war probably is a pretty big decision. Or... Sometimes we have to get reacquainted with God. And if we only talk to God when we're going through the difficult times or only so often or when things are going rough for us, well, it wasn't long before they were in trouble. They had gone in a roundabout way so that they might go around the Dead Sea and they went through some of the wilderness in order to get to where they're going to attack the people probably to try to catch them by surprise. But... After seven days, they had gone seven days, and maybe they were expecting to find water where they were going, but there was no water for the people or the animals. They were in trouble. When you read in the wilderness in the Bible, maybe you think of trees or maybe you think of forest, but this was a desert of sand and rock, and there would be periods of rain at times and certain times of the year, but there would also be long periods of drought. So these wadis or these riverbeds, would be dry for extended period of time. We're reading in the ESV, they're called stream beds here. But read verse 10. We'll pick it up and go a little bit faster here. But it says, Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Here for the first time, God's name is mentioned, but it's mentioned by the king of Israel, who was a backslidden king or once not being godly at this time. And he's sure that God had brought them there to die. God's brought us here to die in the wilderness. We'll be too weak to fight the enemy. They'll overrun us. Well, without the disciplines that we've talked about earlier of the Christian faith, we will often misinterpret the circumstances that are happening around us. Something bad will begin to happen. We'll automatically think, well, God must be out to get us. What did I do to be able to deserve this? Or if we're out of fellowship with God, we're not being obedient to him and something bad happens. We'll automatically think, well, God's going to get me now. He's out to get me. 
But this is a misunderstanding of the true nature of God. Jehoshaphat, you're following the players here, the good king of Judah, he gives a good response in verse 11. In verse 11 it says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So we have Elijah, and we've been talking about here, if you've been here in the last few weeks, we've been talking lots about Elijah. We're not through with him yet because we're going to go back and talk about uh, Elijah again next week. But here's Elisha, who is the protege, the disciple of Elijah, the true prophet of God. And you know that there's, there's two passing on to the next generation, Elisha, is the one who is now the prophet. But some of you might remember that Elijah often butted heads with Ahab and Jezebel. And so now we have here Elisha, who is dealing with their son, Jehoram. Read verse 12. It says, And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, Jehoshaphat is standing up for Eli, uh, excuse me, Elisha is standing up for Jehoshaphat. Or even more so, he's standing up for the Word of God. He has the Word of God. Let's go to him, he says. Let's go to Elisha. Well, think for a moment. Who has the Word of God today? Well, we know from the Gospel of John, John 1, 1, we know that Jesus is the Word and we need to go to him. The church has the word. We have the good news of the gospel. We've been given the word so that we might be able to share it with others. And you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the word. I mean, you have the written word that is before you. You have the spirit of Jesus who is living in you. And for us and for Americans, yes, we have those even in our country who do not know the name of Jesus, perhaps except maybe through a cuss word. But the word is not far. But it's take someone who's willing to say, Let's go to the Word for answers. Well, I want you to see the picture in this verse. It's still up there for you to be able to see. A godly king leads a backslidden king. The king of Israel is an Israelite away from God. And a pagan king to hear a word from the Lord. I, I think that's how it's supposed to happen. You see, God's people are to continue to be going to God's Word, doing God's Word, so that... Maybe those who are out of fellowship with the Lord, maybe those who know Jesus, or maybe even those who just know about Jesus, should also be pointing to Jesus and following believers who are going to the Word and doing the Word, and then so that even pagan people might be able to see, even those who are lost, those who are unchurched, might be able to see, might be able to go in that direction as well. I think standing up for Jesus, I think standing up in our country today, it has more to do with standing in a picket line or even making Twitter posts and more to do with pointing people to Jesus and giving people reason to listen and to think that this Jesus thing is for real. Let's read verse 13. We're only going through verses 20. We're doing okay. Verse 13 says this, And Elijah said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, it's the Lord who's called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Notice who Elisha addresses. He addresses the king of Israel. Now, there's a problem when the king of God's people and the prophet of God have nothing in common. 
May it never be said about God's people that we don't have anything in common because we have lots in common as followers of the Lord Jesus, particularly for spending time alone with God, particularly for worshiping together, particularly for seeking to have community in small groups, or worshiping together, seeking to have gospel conversations. We'll continue to have more and more in common. And those things that are different, those things that would separate us, they'll become small in size or scope. And all of us, we're all to be exalting the name of Jesus. Elisha you will notice he's a gifted in sarcasm. Why do you come to me, he says to the king of Israel? Go to your own prophets, prophets of your father and mother, prophets of Ahab and Jezebel. Well, Elijah had 450 of them killed at one time, but there were more. No, says the king of Israel. We can't go to those prophets. He should be saying, you have the word of God. We need to be listening to you, but that's not what he said. In fact, he repeated what he had said. No, your God or the God, every thought of God at that moment, he's the God that's brought us here so that we might be killed uh, by the enemy. He's out to get us. Now notice verse 14. It says, And Elisha said, As the Lord of the hosts live before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. Not so much such regard that Elisha has for the king of Israel. Verse 15 says, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Sometimes we need to say, bring me a musician. But here we have, some of our translations actually say, bring me a harpist. And the harpist played. You know why I hate to miss worship on Sunday? Because God might have something to say, and I don't want to miss it. I mean, every time we get together, sometimes it's through the music, sometimes it's after the music, sometimes it's during the prayer. But I believe God has something to say. Today, I believe God's had something. In fact, every time we come together, I expect God to do something and have something to say to us every week. Verse 16 says this, And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry steam bed full of pools. Now try not to look at verse 17. But look at verse 16 again, and we looked at it earlier in the CSB, and it says this. It says, Then he said, This is what the Lord says, Dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. Now I kind of made this central maybe to what we're looking at uh, today. But I wonder if at this point these kings had to be thinking. We've had no water for seven days. We've been marching, getting ready for war, drought, and we're weary. And You want us to dig, dig ditches? Oh, come on. From our perspective in looking at this, it might seem perfectly reasonable if that's what God said you need to do. But in the midst of a trial or a difficult time or maybe even ordinary days, being obedient to the Lord and being obedient to His Word might seem a bit foolish or maybe even mundane or not very important. But if you want to know God's will, if you want to be a light to the country and the nation in which we live, we want to be sure that we're remaining faithful to God no matter what He asks us to do. But wait, there's more. Now look at verse 17. And it says this, For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink you your livestock, and your animals. There's not going to be any wind or rain coming your way, but these wadis, these stream beds and the ditches you dig in the valley will be filled with many water for you your, and your animals. How's God going to do that? 
Did you think the kings thought that might have been very unlikely or some of the people might have thought, even the army thought, how is this going to happen? How can I really believe this? Probably so because of what Elisha says next in verse 18. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He'll also give the Moabites into your hand. Well, what can God do? You know, nothing is impossible with God. He can do anything. In this particular thing, he says, in God's hands, this is a light thing as far as the water, your ditch is being filled with water, and your enemies will be defeated. Remember when they saw their situation in the wilderness, the kings, king of Israel thought, God must be out to get us and for good reason. Our enemies are going to defeat us. But God wants to defeat your enemies. But your enemies are not flesh and blood, we understand. Particularly in the light of the New Testament, there's sin, Satan, and death, including things like bad attitudes, self-centeredness, depression, and all temptation to pursue other things other than God. It's not light in the sense that it's trivial, but it's easy in the Lord's hands. But you might should pick up a shovel. Let's read uh, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 is... This is what they were instructed to do. And you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, fell every good tree, stop all the springs of the water, ruin every good piece of land with stones. And verse 20 says, The next morning about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came down from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. In other words, it rained somewhere else. It rained up in the mountains of Edom and it flowed down so that all the ditches that they had dug were filled with water and they were obedient. Why ditches? Well, flash floods were common, but what happens in a flash flood? Well, there's lots of rain, uh, but quickly disappears. But the ditches caught the waters to sustain the three armies. How did this help to defeat the enemies? We'll not read the rest of the chapter, but the enemy's watching. In fact, they're in the hill country and they're kind of watching what's going to take place in the valley. And they look down and they see. But because of the sun and its reflection, and certainly because of how the Lord wanted them to see it, instead of pools of water, they thought they were pools of blood. And they thought these three armies, they fought with one another. They've killed one another. In fact, they yelled, to the spoil. And so they all came out from hiding the Moabites, and they came down. And because they were not prepared, and now God's army's been refreshed, they were quickly defeated because of what took place so God not only took care of the water problem but also he defeated the enemy now let's do some speculation imagine you're a member of that army seven days no water you're tired and thirsty your commanding officer tells you to put down the sword pick up a shovel start digging ditches now God didn't say how wide or how deep and maybe you're even told there's going to be no wind and no rain but water's going to fill your ditches you've been order to dig so you're going to dig but probably how deep and how wide you're going to dig it may have to do with how much you really believe it to be true now I want you to understand here the way that we're going and what we want to understand that what we do for the Lord and how we follow him how faithful we are to him has to do with how much we believe and I imagine in different sized ditches. In fact, I want you to see this picture because who do you think began digging? Do you think it was probably the army of the godly king? Boy, I think they probably began. They probably dig some bigger ditches because of their leader. We're not told that. And then they're, so when they saw them digging, perhaps the army of the backslidden king, maybe they dug some ditches, maybe not quite as wide, but they dug ditches. And 
So the pagan army, they're watching this. They said, we better dig ditches too. And perhaps they did. So there was influence that took place there. And for the army of God, the experience of the life-sustaining water depended some on obedience. The bigger the ditch, the more water they receive. You know, God told his people, at least at one time in the Old Testament, do good, I will bless, do bad, I will curse. And there are many slick-haired, smiling preachers on TV and other places that preach a similar theology. The more you dig or the greater the obedience you are, the more you're going to be, God will bless you. And depending on how you count as a blessing, you'll get that job, you'll always be healthy, your children will be happy, you'll get everything you want, and your enemies will be defeated if you'll be faithful. Well, I want to preach that. It even sounds good. The problem is it's not New Testament. It's not biblical. And it gives us a motivation that is less than what it should be and your commitment will not hold up if you're in this thing for material or for health or for anything that is only for you in a self-centered way. What is interesting today in our culture, many churches that seem to be very progressive and modern are preaching an old school theology that falls short of what Christ accomplished with the cross and the resurrection. Were you ready to get this deep today? You're here, lunch is waiting, you've got a few more minutes. I want you to be able to understand this thing. So how do we, New Testament, Jesus-centered church, apply this passage? We live in a dry and thirsty land spiritually. But we have Jesus who is the living water. He already has defeated all of our enemies on the cross. We're already blessed beyond measure. To say that you need to dig your ditches so that, they, so that God can fill it up is a misapplication. It's a misunderstanding. He is the living water that has already has come flowing in our lives. Do you need to pick up a shovel? Yeah, you do. But not so God will fill your ditch or defeat your enemy. It's already been done by the power of Christ, by the blood of the cross. But now your motivation has changed. You want to be faithful in all that God asks you to do for one reason only, because God was faithful to you, because Jesus has saved you. Because God has loved you, you want to love Him. You want to love others and you want to please Him. That's why we do it. Pick up a shovel because you want to live a life that honors your Savior. And you want others to be able to have that living water that has already filled your trough. But we often live as if it has not already happened. And the size and the depth of our ditches remain small. But I'm asking you to pick up your shovel with gusto and with passion because you know it is true. Are you getting what we're understanding here? Picking up a shovel is equivalent to what we're applying today. It is to being faithful to all that God has asked you to do and being obedient to Him. So can I give you the preparations for picking up a shovel and allowing God to work through you? I know some of you look, looking at your time, but this is not going to take long. Remember those six disciplines that we talked about? I want to show them to you here again. These are the ways in which we might allow God to work through us. We often view these things as if these are the goal or these are the purpose. But these are the six disciplines. These are not the end results. No, these are the means which are the end results. These are which ways God wants to achieve His purposes in you. We talk about it often at Parkway. We have one purpose and one mission. One purpose is exalt, glorify our name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have one commission, one mission. It is the Great Commission. It is to make disciples. Are you getting this? Without these disciplines in your life, 
it will be difficult for God to continue to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in you. This is how the church is to shine the light in our nation. You remain faithful. Regardless of what circumstances, regardless of what we face, regardless of what you see happening in our world and our nation today, regardless of who is the president or what's happening in politics, you remain faithful. And as you remain faithful, you'll influence others that see what you do, that hear the message that you had to say, so that others might be pointed to Jesus as well. More doors will be open. The living water is Jesus, and Jesus already flowing in and through you. But without picking up a shovel, practicing Christian disciplines, you may experience or keep little or less of what God wants you to experience. Pick up a shovel, practice Christian discipline, remain faithful like you really believe it. Now, if you're already, if you're here today, you have not given your heart and life to Jesus, but you would like your spiritual enemies to be defeated. You'd like to experience the one who is the living water. Well, Jesus said, I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living water as a gift without cost. Come today, give your heart and life to Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity that we have to not only talk about our freedoms that we have in Christ, freedoms we have in this country, but be actually be able to experience it, actually be able to demonstrate that we can worship freely. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, and we recognize that this country would not be what it is today without the hand of the Lord, without the opportunities that we have. Thank you, Father, for the privileges that we have. We pray for our country today. We pray for our political leaders. We pray for our spiritual leaders. We pray, Father, that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be examples, that we might remain faithful, that we might be obedient to all that the Lord has asked us to do. Father, may it be through this that you might be able to use us as the body of Christ, as the church, as individuals, to be able to be light in what is sometimes a dark world, to be able to share the good news and the truth in the spirit of love so that more and more people may be able to come into the kingdom. Help us now, Father, be able to grow in Christ. Help us to be able to pick up that shovel, be obedient to the things that you would have us to do. And Father, we pray if there's someone here today, someone listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, or maybe today they are unsure, may they be certain today on this God and Country weekend, may be certain that they have Jesus in their heart. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. May they accept the free gift of the living water that never ends. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you pray?